For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you, as an, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kim, for reading that for us. I want to welcome you once again to Providence Road. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we are uh, so glad that you've chosen to spend a Sunday morning with us, especially if you're a guest uh, maybe this is one of your first times here. We're honored that you would choose to, to, to um, spend your Sunday morning with us. We don't uh, take that lightly and um, just love that you're here with us this morning. We have a lot to cover today in this text, so uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in. Father, I, I'm thankful for your word, as we acknowledge and say every week, and um, I have to remind myself of how good um, your word is how you've inspired it, how this is how you've, a primary way you've chosen to communicate who you are to humanity. And I pray today as we look at this passage, I pray that um, it would change us, that we would uh, choose to, to see these words as your words, and that we would, um, that you would change our minds, would change our hearts, change the way when we uh, live, when we leave this place. And above everything else, um, this passage is clear on it as well, is that Jesus is the hero. And I pray that your son would be made much of this morning as we uh, strive to do every morning. And it's in his son's name, we pr your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, <clears throat> we have um, a challenging passage before us this morning. And I've been challenged by it all week long. Whenever you uh, come across a marriage passage in scripture, especially if You've been married for 18 years like I have. There's a lot of reflecting that's been done the last several weeks. There's been a lot of repenting I've done the last uh, few weeks, and it's been a challenging week. So now, um, for sure, those of you who are married, like I get to kind of pull you into the boat with me this morning, and the scripture is going to challenge us. It's going to challenge wives. It's going to challenge husbands. And I'm just going to lay that out before you to get ready. Uh, single girls and guys in this room, men and women, um, I think you'll be able to learn a lot of, about this passage as well and grow from it and learn from it. And there are points along the way I'm going to stop and address you all as well. But when we're dealing with a passage like this um, in First Peter, um, I think there are, are two important things that we have to remember as we approach Scripture. And this is where I think this passage becomes really more controversial than it needs to be. Um, the first thing is that we, we want to jump to application way too soon. We want to say, what does this mean? How does this work itself out? How is this, oh, that's, that's been done wrong, or that's been abused. Like, we want to jump to application way too quick. So we're going to try to fight that a little bit this morning. We're going to get there at the end. But we really want to talk about the why first. Why is this in the scripture? What does the Bible have to say about this before we say, how does this apply to our lives? And second thing that goes wrong, um, and this can go for any topic, but when you fail to read things in the context they're in, and you start to just throw verses out here and there 
to kind of fit whatever you're talking about and don't understand the context. It's like Bible study 101, right? Understand the context. So that's what we're going to do first this morning. We're going to look at the context of this topic in the scriptures and in 1 Peter as well. Then we're going to look at wives, because that's the order Peter goes in, wives, and then we're going to look at husbands. And then at the end, we're going to kind of pull things back together, and I'm going to kind of give some, I think, practical application that's hopefully helpful in light of the passage. So that's kind of the outline for this morning. So for this context, for this, this first context, we must consider the biblical context. What does the Bible have to say about a certain thing from Genesis to Revelation? And the foundation of how God views men and women is important, obviously, when you're talking about marriage. And when the triune God, the Trinity, creates man and woman, um, he creates in his own image. Right? The triune God creates man and woman in his own image. Therefore, because it's the Trinity, right, there's sameness and there's differences in the Trinity, God must also create sameness and differences when he creates man and woman. This is why in a lot of ways men and women are the same. There's also ways that men and women are different. And we just need to, at the outset, this is like Genesis 1 and 2 stuff. We need to acknowledge this. This is what the scriptures teach. There's males and females, and God has uniquely designed them and created them to fit in such a way where the full image of God can be displayed. Um, and the Bible says, says elsewhere um, that men and women are equal in dignity, value, and worth. And there weren't many, if any, cultures at this time period when the Bible was written that would say those things about men and women. Right? There would not be equality in anything in very many cultures during this time period. And we need to see God's hand in that. Now let's shift to the context of 1 Peter. Okay, so if we go back a couple of weeks to, to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, and it'll be on the screen. Peter says this, be subject or submit, same word depending on which English translation you're using, uh, for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And so this was a pivot point in this book where Peter was going to start focusing on different kinds of human relationships, human institutions, to talk about how we faithfully live as exiles. And because the big picture is calling us to submit, right? To submit, because we are to submit or be subject to Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we can now submit to different kinds of human authorities. This is why that verse says, for the Lord's sake. On the sake of the Lord, you submit in these different areas. And then Peter has laid that out, right, in the last few weeks. Two weeks ago, it was political leaders, how we kind of submit to that authority. Uh, last week, the example Peter gave was slaves and masters. I think the, uh, the principle holds for employer, employee, um, other relationships that we come across where there is an authority dynamic, right? Like that's kind of what Peter was talking about. And this week, <clears throat> he talks about marriage. So he's, this is a train of thought that starts in chapter 2, verse 13. I want us to see the context here. Um, and we talked about it two weeks ago, but when God uses this word submit in the scripture, it's never meant to, um, to demean or kind of be a sign of inferiority. Never. That's not, that's not why he's telling a certain person to submit, right? It's always to show his grace, his mercy, the gospel in different environments, his purposes behind certain things. It's never meant to be demeaning as it relates to God. So in this context, Peter is telling us that as exiles, there is a way to do marriage so that the watching world will see it and glorify God. This means that our marriages will probably look different than the world's, and that's a good thing. We don't have to be sheepish about that. We don't have to shy away from that. This whole book's about how do we live as faithful to God, as followers of Jesus, in a world that probably disagrees with us. This is a good thing. Um, this is another context. This is part of this context. There's a, this is a context where there weren't a lot of established Christian marriages. This is a kind of pioneering work, church planting kind of world. And there weren't a lot of marriages where both people were coming in as believers. Usually somebody would get converted, come to Jesus, whether the, a man or woman. And so they would now find themselves in a marriage where their spouse didn't agree with them. This is especially problematic for women in this day and age, which I think is why he gives more space to women in this passage, Peter does, because in that culture, the women were expected to adopt the man's religious background. It was kind of like part of the deal. Like his religious background kind of covered the, for the whole family the umbrella that they were living under. 
So when a, you can imagine when a, when a woman be, who's married becomes a Christian, who's married to a husband who's not a Christian, it's going to get dicey because she's going to have to know, well, how much do I give in? How much do I not? And therefore, this is the occasion for why Peter um, writes this, this particular verse at this particular time. But logic also tells us, and there's a principle here, that if Peter is saying um, things like submit and honor when a Christian marries a non-Christian, if that's, his, if that's what he's saying in this passage, then the principle stands that he would for sure expect these things to be happening when two Christians marry. So we can take from this context and other passages of Scripture, Ephesians, Colossians, other places, and kind of build out from here a principle for what a Christian marriage should look like. So there are two key verses that kind of point back to the context here. Um, in, and it's this word, likewise. Uh, the first likewise we're going to get in, in verse 1, where it's saying, pointing back and telling, likewise, likewise, wives submit to your husbands. And then in verse 7, we get the likewise um, uh, towards men pointing back to Jesus, right? They're pointing, these likewises are pointing back to verses 21 through 25 of chapter 2. So I'm going to go back to those verses. Kim read those. But I'm going to go back because this sets everything up. Like if you just start with chapter 3, you do not get what Peter's saying here. So let's go back. Verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you who were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. So Peter says it right here in verse 21, right? For this you have been called. And then he says, and he's left you an example that you would follow in his steps. You would follow behind him. So the likewises in this chapter, chapter 3, the beginning of it, are pointing back to this. Likewise, like Jesus did, in following Jesus' steps, that's where the likewises come in. Um, and we think about it. If anyone had the right to not submit themselves to human authorities, it would have been Jesus. If anyone could have stood and said, I do not have to submit to anybody in this world, it would have been Jesus. So why did he do it? Well, ultimately, he was entrusting himself to the Father, to God the Father. He was trusting God the Father. That's what was his first kind of chain of command. But he was also um, accomplishing our salvation. He had a purpose. He had a goal laid out before him, and he knew that was part of the purpose that he was set out to accomplish. So this immediate context is key, and we can't miss it. But before we jump in uh, to verse 1, I want to go over to a kind of companion passage, and this is Ephesians 5. Most commentators think these are, these are kind of sister passages. This is two, two guys um, kind of teaching the same thing, but in different places. They line up well together. So um, first, we're going to start with wives. Look at, um, well, first, look at Ephesians 5.21 before we jump in um, to 22. And again, this is where you should start when you're reading Ephesians 5, verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he's, in previously up to 21, he's talking about to the church. He's saying, church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, there's a mutual submission that should take place because you are all members of the body. There's a mutual submission here. And then he goes into verse 22. So there's a mutual submission, but because um, the roles are different, things are going to look different in the marriage. And this is where I love this illustration. I think this is why you have to read Ephesians 5 for this, this imagery, this illustration of marriage, because I can't do it any better. No human being can give a better illustration of marriage than this one. Look at verse 22. Again, we'll take wives and then husbands. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and, his, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in every submit everything to their husbands. So wives submit as the church does in relationship to Jesus, right? Like as Jesus and the church are, the wives kind of are, are the church in that imagery. 
following and trusting his leadership and authority in the relationship, right? That's what he's saying. He's directing that towards wives. Now let's go over to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, like Jesus, remember the context, like Jesus, wives, be subject or submit to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So, before we jump in, this is what this passage is not saying. Just get it out of the way. This is what it's not saying. It's not saying all women should be submissive to all men. It does not say that, nor does the scripture ever say that, right? This is contextual to marriage. Like, this is for wives. This is not for women. It's for wives, right? So it's not for all women, uh, subject um, yourselves to all men, right? It also does not mean do whatever your husband says. Does not mean that. Um, it does not mean to remain in a marriage when, where you are physically in danger. It's not what that passage, this passage is saying. Um, it doesn't mean that he can demand submission from you. Submission is only something you can give. It cannot be demanded. It cannot be taken from you. It cannot be asked of you by anyone other than God. And it's clear that God is asking that. But the man does not ask for submission. It is given freely by uh, the wife, okay? You follow him as he follows Jesus. You don't have to follow him in something that is contrary to the scripture, and you don't follow him into sin. It's not what this passage is saying. What is it saying? Well, it's saying that husbands take the lead. And I've heard pastors use the dancing illustration. I think it fits really well. Like when two people are dancing, uh, when you first look at them, they're in sync. They're in unison. That's what makes couples dancing like really beautiful, right? When a couple's in sync, they're moving, and you just enjoy it and get wrapped up in it, and you can't really see who's leading, right? But there's always a leader in a dance, right? And in, this, in that uh, illustration, the man is the leader, right? Uh, husbands take a covenantal headship responsibility in the relationship, right? And that's kind of taught in different places of the scriptures. And for him to do that, wives need to let husbands lead. It means respect him, be his biggest fan, praise way more than you criticize, right? Those kinds of things. How can I empower and allow my life, my, my, my husband to, to lead this life that God has called him to lead? Because God has called him to that. How do, how do I help him do that? And it continues in verse 3. Do not let your adorning, and he kind of explains, I think, a, um, here's a way to be able to do this. I think this is kind of an example Peter's giving. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So this straightforward, it's, there's, there's nothing... Um, kind of crazy about these. He's just saying care more about what's on the inside than what's on the outside. It does not mean that you can't wear nice things. It doesn't matter that you can't care about what you look like when you go out or whatever in public, right? It doesn't mean you can't be into fashion. It's not saying these things. He's saying, which is not a surprise when you think about the rest of Scripture, care, what's, care more about your character than what you wear. Care more about what's inside of you than what you put on the outside, Right? And um, he's saying, don't let those pursuit of those kinds of things drive you. And I, and I feel for you. As a man looking, kind of looking at this culture, I know it's hard for men to some degree. But you ladies have, it's much more difficult for ladies in this, what do I wear? What do I look like in comparison game in that area than men is. And I, I feel that you always have to figure out, like, what should I look like? And, 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 it, and it can be exhausting. So hopefully this is also an encouragement to the the person that means the most to you, wives, um, focus on what's in, on the inside. And there's a promise here that he may, be, he may be influenced. He may be won by your focus on that rather than your total focus on what is on the outside. Verse 5, <clears throat> for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used, their, used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Um, one thing, what Peter's saying here, he's saying find godly role models. Find 
wives, find wives who've gone before you and ask them, get to know them, look up to them. And here he's just taking Abraham and Sarah. And their marriage wasn't perfect. Those of you who know the Old Testament, like, it's crazy that they use them as, as the, like, the, the, the example of marriage, right? You're scratching your head, but I think he's making a point, right? Like the dude was a knucklehead, did do some dumb, dumb things, but even when he wasn't deserving of her submission, her following him, she honored him. Thomas Schreiner in his commentary on this particular, these verses says this, this comment is instructive for it informs us that these women did not submit to their husbands, this is key, did not submit to their husbands because they believed their husbands were superior to them intellectually or spiritually. And I, and I would even add deserving of it. Like that's not why they did it, right? They submitted to their husbands because they were confident that God would reward all those who put their trust in him. Right? That's why they submitted, not because he was like A-plus material and I need to submit to him. No, it's because they were submitting to God, and that was kind of how they were living that out. So, single ladies in here, I'll say kind of a caveat for you, right? You do not submit to your boyfriend the way this is calling you to submit. Please don't do that. That is not your responsibility yet. That is not your call. Honor, yeah. Respect. Sure, especially as the relationship deepens. You, that's, that's being a good Christian. That's being a good sister in Christ to do those things. But this is reserved for marriages. Okay, question you can't ask yourself, is this the guy who I'm willing to walk this out with? Is this the kind of guy that I can live these kinds of things out with, the, thing that first, the things that First Peter is talking about? Is this the kind of guy? Again, another caveat, it's not Jesus you ain't marrying Jesus like you already married to him. You're part of the bride, right? So you're, you're not going to marry Jesus. So it's not perfection here, right? Don't put him to that standard. But is there intentionality? Is there a willing for him to submit to God in the areas of his life? Is there ambition to be godly? Again, he may not be up here yet, but for the time that you've known him, has there been some growth, even a little bit? Like is the arrow pointing the right way? Is he have some ambition for this more than anything else? Following Jesus, pursuing Jesus. Those are the kind of questions you should be asking, not how do I submit to him in this relationship. That is not for you um, in that particular stage, okay? Husbands, okay? Let's go to husbands. Um, let's go back to Ephesians, kind of like we did before, and look at Paul's imagery again here. Verse 25, Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So because the roles are different in how this is played out in this dance of marriage, husbands don't submit to the authority and headship of the wife. But we do submit to our wives' needs. Okay? In the same way Jesus clearly sacrificed himself, gave up everything who he was for the needs of the church. Don't miss that. He gave up everything for the church. Even though he was submitted to God, he, Jesus wasn't submitted to the church, but yet in his submission to God, it was his role to give up everything on the, for behalf of the church. He was well aware of what the church needed. Guys, are you aware of what your wife needs, and are you willing to submit to those needs, give sacrifice for those needs? Okay, That is the role of Jesus in this picture. We put our needs second. We put our wives' needs first. This is how we honor. This is how we love as Jesus loved. Verse 31, Paul, keep, uh, Paul keeps going. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 32, this mystery is profound. Like, it's, it's, it's hard. he's saying it's hard to think about. It's hard to get your mind around. And I'm saying, though, that it refers to Christ in the church. Paul's saying, don't miss it. This is what it's referring to. Verse 33, however, let each one of you uh, love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husbands. Now let's jump back over to Peter, verse 7, the last verse today. 
Likewise, husbands. There's the likewise again. Again, like Jesus, like I just told you last chapter, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. And if I had to restate this in a more, I think, kind of logical how we would, how we would kind of uh, tease this out, I would say this. Husbands are to show honor to their wives by living with them in an understanding way because they are the weaker vessels but also the heirs of the grace of life so that our prayers may not be hindered. So this, this honor, I think that's the key word here. It's like the flashing red light of this verse, honor. There's an honor that your wife is due. In this relationship called marriage, he doesn't use that for that the wives need to honor the husbands. He uses a different word for that, right? But here he's saying husbands honor your wives, right? We talked about honor a few weeks ago, so we won't unpack that because we don't have time. Um, but one of the reasons why you're to honor her is because she's an heir with you. And don't miss this. It does mean that she's equal to you in personhood, value, dignity, salvation, all those things. But think about what that's saying. In this culture, being an heir, having a right to the inheritance, was reserved for the firstborn son. And that was clear. Like, so when the original audience would have read this, they would have been like, wait a minute. She, she's an heir with you? Like, co-heirs? Like, y'all have the same claim on the inheritance of God? Really? And that's what Peter is saying. Because she's equal with you there, y'all share that inheritance, you honor. You honor. And then it says, because they are the weaker vessel. And this is one of those, I know this is, this is, uh, this is kind of, it hits you in the face when you read it, ladies. Um, I, I believe this is talking purely physical, right? It's purely physical, right? This physical strength. And this weakness isn't negative, or God couldn't possess that quality because you are made in his image. Like if weakness was a negative quality, God couldn't possess it because he's perfect. But you are made in his image, therefore this is a kind of weakness, not as the world would define it, but a, a way of being, a way of being created in that way. It's in, in, in most commentators would say it is physical, right? And in general, in all times and places and cultures, if you, men will score higher on any physical performance, physical size test. They have 11 times more testosterone than women, which is the hormone responsible for aggression and risk-taking. Right? Violent crimes are committed overwhelmingly by men. Right? This is, this is, we see this play out in the, in the world. So being weaker than men shouldn't come as a shock. But he's saying it's a reason why you better honor men, husbands, honor your wives. And what Peter is saying that you can use that strength, and we see it. This is why this passage is so hard for ladies in the room. Right? Men can use that strength to bully, intimidate threaten, dominate. Like that's easy for a man to use his strength to do those things to women. Or you can use this strength to honor your wives. Like there's a strength that has been given to men by God in order to fulfill God's purpose in marriage. Uh, but this is difficult to figure out how to do in marriage, especially if I think if you're younger, maybe not married or just newly married, like how does this look? How does this play out? And I think a lot of it's because the state of kind of masculinity in this country is a mess. It's a mess. There's books, research coming out of it, and like men are a mess in our culture. And then there's all sorts of reasons why for it or in general. But I think one of the reasons when it comes to this idea of strength is you have on one side uh, men who are bullies, lack self-control, and want to use their strength to kind of abuse women. But on the other side, I think you have men who are actually reacting to that, who don't want to be that, who are passive, who aren't present, who lack ambition, Right? And God is calling us to something different, men. Like, this isn't a spectrum of, like, we fit in the middle. No, no. Those two, throw them out. God is calling you to something different. This is where all the men in the room, I think, can learn from this passage. Right? He's calling you to something different. He's calling you to use your strength um, in a way that glorifies. Um, the Bible calls men to something entirely different. Husbands, we must ask ourselves, how are we stewarding the strength? How are we using this strength? Are we using our strength to protect and care for the vulnerable in our lives? And that could be a question for men in general. Husbands, do you have a present, strong, but gentle posture so that you can honor your wife? Would that describe you? Strong, present, gentle. Would that describe your posture towards your wife? There's a strength that preys on the vulnerable. 
This is why our culture around us just wants to, like, take strength away from men. Well, men shouldn't have power. Men shouldn't have strength. Take it away from them. They're toxic. No, that's not, that's not the answer. That, could be, that should be put out. But the answer is to give men a vision for what strength looks like, what it looks like to use strength in the appropriate way. And I think this is the answer. The answer is not to take away a husband's strength. The answer is to look at Jesus and channel that strength that you've been given, men, into honoring, caring for, and loving your wife. That is how you channel the strength. I would say, men, that goes for the women, the sisters around you in general, those of you who aren't married, right? So the other part of this is, would, do you put yourself in harm's way for your wife, men? This is just the classic, the things that go bump in the night, right? Do you go check out the noise? Do you go check out the weird noise for your wife? That's what you do. Single ladies, I'll talk to you again. If you were interested in a guy or dating him, here's what you need to do. You need to get one of your friends to hide somewhere. You know where I'm going. When you're walking along a street somewhere, find a dark place, have him jump out and scare y'all. If that boyfriend uses you as a human shield, <laughs> dump him, right? right? You dump him, right? You protect, right? You protect. Um, me, it was uh, early on in a marriage, maybe still so a little bit, but it was uh, with spiders, right? Um, maybe still is a problem. Um, there was many times in our marriage where I would yell across the house, especially early on, Nicole! We've got a brown recluse in here. It's like every time it was a brown recluse, right? Because I know they could kill me, right? Um, I think two out, of, like two out of 200, it was actually a brown recluse. I'm not one good at identifying spiders. But God sent me a gift. I got one of those like giant like spray, spray cans. And these days they make these like 10-foot stream shots out of the can. So I can create a 10-foot like barrier between me and the spider. I just, just across the room. Like the three-foot like mist things, that's too close. It's too close, right? Brown, recru- brown recluse will get up and, like, walk towards you and bite you is what I think, right? Um, they're all brown recluses. Um, anyway, so, again, all being said, guys, like, we need to be protectors. And not in that macho sense of it. It's just, like, you lead out when things, when you're threatened. Like, guys, like, put yourself in harm's way for the wives. Now, we get to the heavy statement. This is where I think he, he <laughs> this, this, is, this is a crazy statement here. And, and until you really study, and again, for a while, I didn't really know what this meant, but he ends this verse with, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Like, what in the world does that mean? That, that sounds heavy, right? And it's a, it's, a, it's a consequence of this, of what he's calling a guy to do, men, to, uh, husbands to do. Um, I think what it means is your posture towards your wife shows or reveals a lot of what your posture is like towards God. And he's saying there's some relationship where they feed off each other. I think the question is, how's your prayer life? How's your communion with Jesus? And how's your relationship with honoring your wife and leading her well? And how are those two things, how do they fit? Do you see patterns? Do you see similarities between the two? And if we go back to that co-heir idea, if you just tease this out, you think that she's a, if she's a co-heir, she's a daughter of the king. You can say a princess if you want to use that language, right? Um, and you, I don't have a daughter, but imagine a father giving his daughter's hand away in marriage to a, to a guy, right? Blesses the marriage, and he gets wind shortly into the relationship that there's mistreatment going on. There's dishonoring going on. And then the guy texts you and says, hey, can I come over and watch the game? I, like, are you going to let him sit in the room and y'all just chumming up and watch the game, or are you have some things to talk to him about first? No, you're going to be like, no, we need, to, we need to have a come-to-Jesus meeting here. Like, we need, to, we need to clear the table here before we can enjoy each other, right? So, again, husbands, like, this is, this is heavy, right? Like, you need, like, how you treat your wife, how you honor her directly impacts your relationship, your communion with Jesus. I mean, it says it there. And commentators are all kind of in the same ballpark on this. Some way, they are connected, right? Um. You think that some things um, would need to be dealt with before you come to God. So again, this is another reason to uh, evaluate. Evaluate your relationship with your wives. And maybe it's the disconnect. If you feel distant from God, maybe there's a connection there, okay? Um, 
Again, the scriptures say nowhere. I said it when I was talking to ladies, but the scriptures say nowhere to have wives submit to you or get submission from your wives. The scriptures clearly tell the husbands to love, serve, sacrifice, honor. And if you're not doing these things, she is not going to want to serve you. You're not going to get that. She's not going to want to follow you. Um, and then you actually are making it hard for her to follow the teachings of Scripture when you're not leading like that. And how dare we make it hard for our wives to follow Jesus by how we're treating her. So again, love her well. Honor her well. So what this means um, is that, again, you, you should be praying as you're submitting to Jesus, as you're pursuing Jesus. You don't call her to submit. You pray. You pray that God would soften your heart, her heart. You pray that God would lead her in a way. You pray the spirit would be, would be strong in her life, that she would be sensitive to the spirit. And that by how you're um, living and treating her, she would respond to that with respect, with honor. The things we want as husbands, like we want those things. I want, I want Nicole to respect me. I want Nicole to honor me. I want those things. things marriage goes better when those things are happening. But I don't demand those things. I take care of my business, and I pray that God would work in her life so that we're then both on the same page doing what God has called us to do in our marriage. And here, here's some just kind of getting to some practical stuff here. Um, this is one thing I really struggle with, guys, um, honoring your wives with your tone and how you speak to them. Um, I have a tough time sometimes speaking to Nicole in a gentle tone. I can get loud. I'm bigger. I can, use, I can get kind of big. In, in, in a room when I get intense, and that is not the way to honor my wife as a person who has more strength and is bigger than her. Watch your tone, husbands. Watch your tone with your wives. Um, this is one that another pastor said, shared this week, and it just hit me. It's, it's like I, I'm passionate about discipling my kids, and I want them to love Jesus. But if, how are they, I'm representing Jesus, right? And so in this relationship, so they're learning how Jesus speaks and feels toward his bride, the church, based off of how I treat and love Nicole. But the scripture says that God rejoices over us and sings over us. And he's joyful when he looks at the church because of Jesus. So would my, my boys describe my relationship with Nicole as delightful in how I speak to her and the tone I use. Would they see me like singing over here and enjoying her presence, enjoying our relationship, right? It's not going to be that all the time. But if you look at how your kids are viewing it, I've got a four and an eight. Like the behavior, the tone, that matters a lot to them at this age. So husband's another thing to look out for. And I think um, another piece here in the verse seven is live with your wives in an understanding way. It kind of a an interesting thing, I think, for Peter to say here, but I think what he's saying is here, husbands, be a student of your wife. Know her. Understand who she is. What are her goals? Worries. What are, what's her favorite food, favorite movie? What makes her come alive when she does a specific thing in her life? How has God uniquely gifted her to serve in his kingdom? And whatever that thing is, now you become the, her biggest cheerleader. You empower. You blow wind in her sails so she can accomplish what God wants her to accomplish. And, and wives, wives, you can do the same things with your husbands. But guys, I think we need to lead out in this and how we honor our wives and how we connect with them and understand them. I think you should uh, work hard to connect emotionally with her. And you, you may be thinking, my wife is way more emotional than I am. How do I do this, right? And it, it's, it's not true that she's more emotional than you. He's given you emotions too, guys. I'm with you here. But she's just better at going to the places where those emotions are and retrieving them and using them, letting them out, right? We need to do the hard work of going down to that level as men, most of us, I think, and retrieving those. Like, can you connect with your wife emotionally? Just ask her. Like, do you think I connect with you emotionally? And let her be honest with you and tell, tell you that, right? Wives, be patient with your husbands in this, right? This is something that I think over my 18 years of marriage, I'm still not very good at it, but it's taken me 18 years to, I think, become maybe, maybe decent. I don't know if that's even true, right? You can ask Nicole. Um, but I think um, we, we need to work in these areas. Don't be harsh to each other. Husbands, for sure, don't be harsh. Husbands, um, work hard to say sorry first in a conflict. I hate that one. I hate it when I think she did something wrong, right? 
usually it's, it's always, it's always, I can always, there's a 1%. There's always a 1%, guys, that you can own. So go apologize, right? Go apologize first. It's hard, though. I get it. It's really hard to do that. But that's a way we can lead out. Ultimately, the Bible's calling husbands to create an environment where wives will flourish. That's it. Create an environment where your wife can flourish. So, all that being said, right? Challenging, right? It's challenging both for both parties, right? Husbands and wives. This is challenging. I think marriage along with parenting are the areas at the top of the list where your sin and your junk is going to be revealed. That's why this is so hard. That's why it's so challenging to talk about these things. But what we should let that do is drive us to Jesus. Let it drive you to Jesus. He's saying, come. Come tell me about how much you failed. Come tell me about these things. Right? Confess. Repent. Grow. Work on things. Right? It's okay. Admit it, though. Hey, I'm falling short. I know. This is hard. That's why people who've been married for a while will say that marriage is great. But it's hard. It's hard work. Um, Wives and husbands, we've seen that we have different roles, but we are still part of the bride. Right? We're both a part of the bride. We sin. We mess up. We fall short. And thank goodness Jesus doesn't treat us the way we often treat our spouses, the way we treat each other, right? He doesn't treat us that way. Um, he doesn't treat us as we deserve. He treats us as children. He's tender with us. He's gentle with us. He welcomes us back. And our only hope, our only hope to be these kinds of men and women in marriage is found in Jesus. He's our only hope. Um, when you think about the cross, you should see it through the lens in, in a way, through subjection, submission. Like Jesus submitted himself to that process. He subjected himself to the process. What kept him there? It wasn't the nails, right? It wasn't the guards that were guarding him. No. What, number one, it was his love for his father. And number two, his love for sinners like you and me. That's what kept him there. Like, he was the perfect husband. His life was not taken. Nobody took his submission. He freely gave up himself. He sacrificed it. He submitted to the authorities that killed him. Again, if there's anyone in the history of the world that can demand submission from us, it's King Jesus. He has every right to demand submission from us. But, and, and, and we should submit to him. But that's not how he loves us. Think about it. He doesn't do that way. He demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, he died for us. He woos us. He says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. He's not demanding submission. He dies. He, de- he de- demands to follow him, but he, he made the first move. He died first. Today, if you came in here and you're not a Christian, I would encourage you to, to think about this. Maybe you're not married. Maybe you are married. I think if you're married, maybe this kind of make, resonates a little bit more. Um, but I would, I, would, I would plead with you to put your faith and trust in Jesus. He was the perfect husband. He was the perfect husband, the only one who ever existed. And he made a way for sinners like everyone in this room to be, back, to be brought back into a relationship with God. And we, another part of this context is, is the fact that we're exiles. And I want to remind us, I said at the beginning, but I want to remind us that our marriage is never going to seem normal in this culture. If we're kind of looking at one side of the culture and being like, what do they think of us? They're not going to like this. The culture is not going to think, this, like, like everything else we've talked about, like this isn't attractive necessarily. We are aliens. Parts of it are attractive, but it's in a very subversive way, like we talked about a few weeks ago. We aren't living, though, to try to fit our marriages into what the culture is telling us about marriage. In our world, submission looks foolish to anything. Like, why would you submit to an authority figure? That's, like, foolish, right? But the Bible continues to cause us to submit to different things. This is why this is missional. And Peter's clear, so that they may be one, so that they may, may see God's glory, so that they would see Jesus in a different way, and that they may profess faith, and they may give their lives to Jesus. So application, um, I think there's a, there's a theological, there's a biblical teaching on this throughout the scripture. And we talked about some of that today. And Peter's concern, concern is not to prescribe how to work this out in every situation. It's more about our posture. It's more about our disposition. It's more about how we relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, but also husband and wife. Listen to Karen Jobes in her commentary. She says this. 
about this. Peter wisely did not spell out in specific terms what it means for a Christian wife to submit to her husband or for a Christian husband to live considerately with his wife. The apostle laid, it, laid down the principles and then left the details to be worked out between the spouses, right? There's different personalities, different backgrounds, different cultures, different giftings and marriages. And so you notice the scriptures aren't saying, here's how the chores should be divided up in the home. Here's who should make the most money in the home. This is how the, the, the hierarchy and who does what. And the scriptures don't speak to any of that. That's kind of all cultural. This is what the scriptures are clear on, I think, what we talked about today. All those other things, it's just really good communication. How do we share this? How do we partner? How do we sacrifice? How do we compromise? And all of those hard conversations are going to be done if you're posturing yourself in a way where you're trying to put the other person first. Like these conversations go much easier when you're trying to do that. Um, man, I wish we could talk more about this, but there was a, a study, uh, John Gottman, who does a lot of counseling and marriage um, oh, research, did this study, uh, I don't know how many years, I think it's fairly recent, but <clears throat> he looked at newlyweds to up to six years in, into their marriage. And he talks about this thing called a bid. And all a bid is, is when one spouse tries to kind of get the attention of the other spouse. This could be like physically a, a hand on the leg. This could be um, like, tell me about your day. Simple as that. Um, it could be bigger than that. They could also be small things. And when, when, when one party did that, the other person res can respond either by turning toward them and like entertaining that bid, or they can turn away from them and be like, I, you know, I'm not on time for that, or I'm on my phone, I'm distracted, I'm not all in it. And for the, for the, the couples who were married after six years, 86% of the time in those relationships, the bid was answered, right? They like turned toward them and said, okay, let's engage. 86%, not perfect, but good. And out of all the couples who had divorced within that six-year year, 33%. It was the most clear. It wasn't more than Bible reading, more than praying together. It was communication. When one person reaches out for communication, how do you respond? And it's not, hey, let's sit down and talk about, like, all of our, I mean, that could mean that, but it's just like, like a hand on the thigh. Like, do you, do you, like, pull away or just ignore it, or do you put a hand, put a hand around uh, the shoulders, or put your hand on her hand when she does that to you. Like, that's accepting the bid. And those little things throughout the day add up, throughout the weeks. They add up to make your marriage stronger. Um, again, easy ones, put down your phone when your spouse is trying to talk to you. I know a hard one. It's a way to accept the bid. Another danger zone is, at, I think, at the end of the day, when y'all both come together after long days, maybe you haven't got to interact a lot, how do you react? How do you talk to one another? You're both tired, you've had a long day, doing different things, and there's a, there's a tendency to compete. Like, who's had the harder day? <sighs> like, who needs more rest in that moment? And this is where you have to, again, gear up for it. For whoever's at home, maybe that person's coming in the door, or whoever's coming home to whatever you're going to find, you, that's the moment where all this gets really hard. So I would just say that's a highlight moment of this. Like, you get through that window with some, like, this bidding idea, and by putting the other person first, um, some things... Um, Good things can happen. Again, a lot of this is like, just be nice. Like, be kind. Like, read the fruits of the Spirit and do those things. The fruits of the flesh, don't do those things, right? It's like, it's like I mean, it's doing and not doing are hard, but I don't think it's complicated when you look at this that way. We need to be students of Scripture so we know how, what Jesus is like. And it's all modeled after Jesus. So if you don't know Jesus, if you're not following Jesus, if you're not pursuing Jesus, you're going, to be, you're going to come up short. You're not going to have all the tools you need to live this out, to review. And then I'm going to have one little homework, put a piece, I'll put it up, and then we'll be done. I want to say it clear. You can't make the other person fulfill their role. Men, don't demand that your wives submit and follow you. Men, don't de demand that your wives respect you. That's not your place. Women, don't tell him you're going to withhold respect from him until he loves you like Jesus loved the church. That's manipulative, right? Uh, women, don't try to force your husband to follow you, right? That's, the, that's contrary to what we talked about today, right? Don't try to do those things. You do what God's called you to do, and you pray like crazy the Spirit would work in your spouse to bring them to the point where maybe they are more respectful, maybe they are more loving, maybe they are a better listener, 
but you don't demand those things in Scripture, right? Homework, and I'm going to put it on the screen. Okay, and I'm going to just, just screenshot this. We're, we're already really long. Um, this is homework, and I'm serious about this. I think this is really good, right? Husbands, you go first. You go first, right, when you do this. Um, you sit down eye to eye. You ask two questions. In the area of loving, honoring, and understanding you, what is the one specific thing I can do better? And in what is one area? Oh, I'm sorry. No, sorry. I, that's a typo. First one's positive. I'm sorry. In the area of loving, honoring, and understanding, what is one specific thing that I'm doing well? Okay? Right? Ask her what you're doing well. Wives, be very specific with what he's doing well. Next, what is one area I can grow in? Okay? Welcome this critique. Welcome it. Don't make the other person have to poke you. Like, welcome it. Wives, after that, in the area of submitting, following, and respecting, um, what is one thing that I'm doing well? Like, what is one thing that, 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 that you are thankful for in that way? And two, um, what is one area I could grow in? So again, affirming, uh, again, affirming one thing, and then the next is opening yourself up for your spouse to speak into you. Okay? And this is a good exercise to do every so often. And that way, you, the other person doesn't have to, like, tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, I really need you to, like, you're opening yourself up first. It usually make things, makes these kind of conversations go easier. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm thankful for your word. I know that's a lot. I pray that we would remember your grace, that we would remember that our hope is in you. All this other stuff and exercises and doing things, it, 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 it pales in comparison of the effect um, than loving your spouse as Jesus has loved you. And I pray that we would remember, that we'd be reminded as Jesus has loved us and that you would help us, empower us to love our spouse as well. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.